started here, sorry. All right. Um, well, as we get going here, uh, I thought this was kind of fun. This was uh, from family in our, in our stake. And you're not going to be able to read this much, probably. So I, I will read it for you. Uh, notice, this is, this is a 13-year-old girl, 13-year-old daughter. Amendment number four. There, apparently there were three amendments prior to this. States that I can be secure in my houses, papers, and effects and cannot be violated unless given permission. Today, Friday the 13th of September, the following people have violated my room, which is my personal home, uh, by, for their own needs without my permission. She then states, everybody, the members of the family, <laughs> one by one, except for the father that she says, to some extent him, so he was apparently not as big a violator as mom and the kids. Okay. Then we get this. Uh, please pay a fine of $3 each and go to Chick-fil-A tomorrow to make up for your heinous crimes. <laughs> well, all right. Uh, apparently, as it turns out, Chick-fil-A works, you know, as paying off heinous crimes. So... All right, unless you're wanting the new Popeye sandwich and then it's not available. All right, well, that said, um, with, with conference coming up, um, we've got this quote from President Nelson. My invitation is for you to do a thorough life assessment uh, with the Lord to ensure that your feet are firmly planted on the covenant path. Why didn't, why didn't President Nelson just say, keep the commandments? Why would he use the term covenant path? All of you who are teachers, think about the times that about 50% uh, of what you teach, maybe more, is content, but the other is how you deliver it and how you kind of deliver the package. Unless you're a politician where about 10% is content <laughs> and 90% is how you deliver uh, that 10% content. But why would, why would President Nelson use this phrase? I think it's because he's talking about progression. Yeah. You have a goal in mind. You just don't sit every day and think, I'm going to be good today. Right. You have in mind your reasons for wanting to do this. What do you picture when you picture a covenant path? Yeah. Okay. You, are you picturing just the temple sitting there? Or are you picturing like a, a path towards the temple? Sure. But think, he could have said you're, to ensure that you keep your covenants. Or that you follow the covenants. Yeah. I picture a journey. Sure. And do you picture like people walking along the journey? My life journey. Sure. Yeah, we talk about our life journey. But, but the minute that you're going to start using, we're going to talk about metaphors today. But the minute that you start using metaphors, now you start to visualize some things in a way. Just keep the commandments or just keep your covenants doesn't, is good. But when you hear the covenant path, now suddenly you're likening it to some things. Yeah. They did speak the Old Testament and especially in hold on to the Old Testament thing because we're about to get to the New Testament thing. Yeah. 
And for being human beings, like, we get on and off the path constantly. Sure. You know, just with regular life, and things get us down, and then we just, we try again, and we get back on, and we keep going. And it's, it's a progression. And so, sometimes when we've stepped off the path, we're, the, people steep, keep going by on the path. It's like life goes on. You, you know, sometimes I will hear those that are attacking the church, and I keep thinking... Uh, there's an old uh, Arab uh, phrase that says, despite the barking of the dogs, the caravan moved on. <laughs> and there's a sense that sometimes there are going to be those barking at the caravan, but it keeps moving despite them. Okay? Yeah. All of us are alive, and that's what the church is about, life, you know, and, and joy. And there's a, a way of doing that. There's a path. There's, there's a... a an approach to life, you know, and I and I think that's what the covenant path is. It's a way to live. It, okay, so stop there. It's it's a way, right? I had a hand back here. Yeah, Terry. I also see it as an invitation to those who have not made covenants yet. Right. And, but okay, so he could have said or planted in the church, in sacrament meeting. But again, the phrase he's using is covenant path. Yeah. I, I think what he's what he's saying to us is be careful because there's so many things out there that can cause you to look other ways. Right. Be careful and 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 don't be tempted by all these things. But keep yourself. You're, so you're going to be less tempted if you're kind of standing on the path. Than you are when you've gotten off the path. Okay? Yeah. Right here. Keeping your focus. Stay stay focused on where you're going here. Yeah. Also that it, it is a journey and a continual journey. We shouldn't get comfortable and think we've made it and camp out and preparing us for after this life, which will also be a continuing journey. A continuing journey. journey. So it, it's, it's not a get comfortable. Yeah. Down. See, that's why I think he chose, he, he, he chose this Connect. And by the way, how many of you have already heard the phrase covenant path? It was a brain sticker, right? Yeah. yeah. One thing that helps me is I have problems with perfectionism. It's like it's a journey, whether it's I have to do everything. There you go. It isn't like I've landed here and stopped. I'm actually moving, and perfectionism says, I thought I was good here, but actually tomorrow I go here. I moved ahead. Yeah. You mean like alternate paths? Ah. Ah, there are many paths. Yeah, okay, you're thinking now, okay? This is just an announcement. I think he's tasted the BYU devotion tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah, he said, buckle up, here it comes, and everybody's going to show up, okay? Because they want to know, okay, are you going to change something on us again? <laughs> For me, this I'm teaching the youth, it makes them question what is the covenant. What is this? What is it you're even talking about? Because we don't, it's a different vocabulary than we use. And so the question would be when do I know I'm actually on the path as opposed to one of these alternate paths? Right. Or what is it, the covenant that you think I've made? Because as they're sitting there, they're not sure. Right. They're really not. Yeah. So obedience is obviously more important than brains, courage, or heart. That's what you said the yellow brick road. <laughs> But <laughs> thank you for that. 
And the yellow brick road was a road. It was a path. So follow the yellow brick road. Okay. Right. Right. There we go. Okay. And in order to do that, you're going to have to follow the path that leads to Him. Okay. So, when we talk about metaphors, again, so often as teachers or instructors, uh, or, or you're just giving a talk, part of what you're doing is the content, but, but a significant part is how you deliver the content. Okay, you can have the most wonderful talk in the world, and if you stand up in sacrament meeting and you read it in a monotone and you never look up, nobody's listening to the great content. Or you may have great information, uh, but, but if it's not done in such a way that people walk out and it sticks in their brains, especially with youth, they're not going to retain that enough to be able to utilize it. So the power of a metaphor... Uh, is the fact that it draws on familiar imagery, culture, and context. So it's going to be like if I said to you, you know what, I know that you're having a hard time, and I know that you just don't have enough bandwidth to stay with me today. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Okay? Um, or, or someone says, he's a nice fella, but his cornbread ain't completely done in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Got it. <laughs> I'm there with you. All right. What's that? The minute he mentions airplanes, Ukdorf, everybody goes, yeah. Okay, talk to us. Okay, that's his context. But enough of a, a flown in, in airplanes that we kind of get that, right? Okay, so... That it draws on imagery and culture. Uh, it frames reality. It, it's got to be something that we relate to, but it gives it a frame. It gives us a way to look at reality. Um, well, I've done cornbread. I've eaten cornbread where it wasn't done in the middle. That's, you, it looks good on the outside, but then it, you get farther into it, and it's a little gooey. You know? Okay, I'm there. Okay, I could teach a whole lesson on undone cornbread. His cookie dough wasn't, he was missing something. Yeah, right. Okay. Effective imagery, though, it teaches various lessons. The beautiful thing about metaphors is that they're like facets of a diamond or, or a prism. And when you come around and look at it from one direction, you see one thing. You come around here, you see another thing, right? Even in using the term prison, I'm using a metaphor. How did the Savior teach? Parables? Metaphors. What's Jacob 5 in the Book of Mormon? Allegory. It's just an extended parable. Okay? This, and uh, anybody ever go to the temple? Do we use... Look at the symbolism that exists. Passover Seder. You know, we get all of these symbols over and over and over because it locks into our brain in a way that just straight information doesn't. 
The if we want to teach like the Savior, we're going to teach using symbolism. And I, I, want to, I want you to see how powerful it got into the minds of the gospel writers who chose, who, who, who seized on his metaphors and then used the Savior's metaphors to teach the next generations of the church and the, to a certain extent we now look at it. But they are a bit hidden if, unless we understand what we're looking at in the gospel writings. We'll miss the metaphor that was sitting there and all the beauty that it gets because we don't have the familiar context. So part of what we've been trying to do in this class, and I want to especially do it today, um, we want to look at these metaphors not through Western eyes. I want to look through Mediterranean eyes. And I want to look through Middle Eastern eyes. And I want to be able to look in first century eyes. If you'll understand that context, now it'll jump for you and you're going to say, oh, and it really does apply to us but you'll be missing some depth and beauty of the gospel if you don't see these metaphors through their eyes. Does that make sense? Okay. So, here's, the, here's a prominent one then. Well, I remember years ago we had some missionaries that were living with us and one was, he was straight off the boat from China. He'd gone to the MTC, he was still learning English, and he'd been learning some English idioms and he said, I need to know some Texas idioms. Because <laughs> some of this wasn't making quite sense to him. So I, I sat down and we, we went through a number of Texas idioms. And these were a couple of them that we looked at. Okay. If I say to you, that boy is all hat and no cattle. You know what I'm talking about? Put that in other language. Talks the talk, but doesn't walk the walk. Well, even that's a metaphor, right? He's talking the talk. He's pretentious. He's pretentious. He doesn't know what he what he thinks he knows, but he makes everybody think he does know it. Okay. Really, who he's not who he pretends to be exactly. Okay. Or the other one, of course, is listen. We're all in tall cotton today, meaning things are good. Life is going well. <laughs> But but you have to but you have to have the context to go, oh, tall cotton as opposed to short cotton. Oh, okay. All right. So with those metaphors in mind, okay, let's let's take a look here. So there were a number of metaphors that you find in the scriptures referring to the body of believers. Even to call them a church is to use a metaphor. Because we talk about a church and we talk about a building. And when we're talking about a body of believers, and I did it, did it again. If we're talking about a group of fellow believers, and now we're going to use terms like church, body, um, even in talking about them in uh, the Paul was setting up house churches, okay. You get a sense of what's going on. So there were a number of New Testament metaphors. So sometimes believers, depending on who the writer is and the context, they're going to call the church uh, the body of Christ. Okay. Think about 1 Corinthians 12. When, when Paul's talking about, I want to gather all of the members together and not exclude anybody... And he's going to use the fact that all of you have spiritual gifts, which means that 
the head can't say to the feet, I have no need of thee. And the eyes can't say, you know, to the, the legs, you know. He's saying, we're, we're going to liken ourselves to the body of Christ. And in, and in common parlance, we might have a, a school these days, a high school is filled with the student body. It's not a big body. It's a group of people. That's why I, I, was, I was laughing so hard a few years ago when we were in driving through San Antonio and, and I looked at, the, they, they were advertising online classes for the University of the Incarnate Word. And I thought, what kind of student body would you have with the Incarnate Word? Because carnate means physical body. So Jesus was, uh, or the Holy Spirit is incarnate. It was, a, it was the spirit without the body. So how do you have a student body of the incarnate word, which has no body? And I guess cyber classes made more sense for the... Because then it doesn't really have a body. It's floating out there. So... <laughs> I laughed so hard. Oh my gosh. I don't know how you even with a straight face talk about the student body of the incarnate word. I, 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 it's just weird. I think it was, yeah. But then they really don't have a physical... Because uh, they, they, they actually wouldn't need buildings in the incarnate word. It's just... Don't get me going. Okay. But we're sometimes referred to as the body of Christ. Right? Okay. Uh... Another metaphor. The church is seen as the bride to the bridegroom. Okay? That, because uh, in context, we understand weddings and we understand brides. And if I'm going to say that the church is a bride, now you go, oh, everything I know about weddings, you know, some churches, I guess, would be like the bridezilla <laughs> of things. You know, they're, they're hard churches to put up with. But in a sense, he's saying that, and the bridegroom, and, and again, even then you don't understand it until you do like we did last semester. We talk about the wedding feast and the coming of the bridegroom and people waiting for the bridegroom to show up and the bride is then taken with it. There was a whole context that once we understood that, now that context works fabulous. Okay? So the bride to the bridegroom. Uh, another possibility is... It's the family of God. We're, we belong to the household. We're members of the family. Enough that when, when we see one another, we call each other what? Brothers. brothers and sisters. We're not really brothers and sisters. Family is a metaphor for how we relate to each other. And that we're supposed to love one another as we love our family. Okay? So, so we get that part. Okay? How about the temple? Look at, all this, look at all the imagery, and you'll really see it uh, in the next couple of weeks. The imagery of um, the saints, and he's going to build a foundation of what? The church is built on the foundation of? Apostles and prophets, and Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. See, we know, you know that imagery. 
You go, oh, that's right. So a man is going to build his house on sand or rock. on a rock, on a firm foundation. Okay? Look at all the imagery that goes with that. The Catholic Church is built on a metaphor of, Pet of Petra or Petrus. Okay? A Peter as the rock on which the church was established. Okay? All right. So, that said. So, here, so now we're going to hop ahead just a little bit into, into Acts. Um, and we have this, we have this uh, in Acts 9. But Paul was still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the Damascus synagogues so that if he found any who were of the way... Men or women, he would bring them to Jerusalem as prisoners. Uh, later on, after his conversion, Ananias comes to the house, laid his hand, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the way as you came here, sent me so that you would see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. This phrase, the way, uh, the Greek word is hados, uh, meaning the way, uh, is it is filled? It, it runs through the New Testament uh, like you can't believe. In fact, we actually uh, many versions of the Bible now uh, will capitalize the way because that's how they saw themselves. That was that was the covenant path in the first century. They were members of the way. Okay, so if you actually go to to uh, Strong's Concordance. It talks about that the way Hadas is used 83 times in the New Testament. And just a handful of those, we'll talk about why in a sec, are in the Pauline letters. The vast majority of these are in the gospel. They are everywhere. And after today, you will see it as you read and you'll go, oh, there's another one. And there's another one. And there's another one. It, it infiltrates. But if you don't know the metaphor, you're missing the context. And you're missing a, an essential part of that verse. Okay, so it appears 83 times. Now, technically there are times when Hadas means a road traveled. But the vast majority of the times, we're going to find that in the way especially, if you see the phrase, in the way, you're actually looking at a metaphor and it's a course of conduct, it's a way of thinking, feeling, deciding, and it was the name of the church. And it was how they referred to themselves. They didn't refer to themselves... In the, in, the, in the decade after the Savior's uh, resurrection as Christians. That came from the Romans a little bit later. They referred to themselves as members of the way. We are the way. Want to join the way? Are you in the way? Are you out of the way? I don't know. We've got to be in the way. Okay? All right. Um, so, I want, to, I want to run through some of these today because I just think it, it's such a... The, the imagery is so powerful. Um, so, my question though, so think through their eyes for just a second. Why would they choose the way? What would that say to them and what context would they be used? Why the way? Think like a first century Jew. You go, well, that's hard. I'm not there. Okay. Jesus. 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 Jesus.
There's one of the reasons why I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, so that means I'm following him. Okay. So it's recognition that they're on a journey that is a part of the plan of salvation. As a Jew, where do you? How do you give it everywhere? You know, hop in the car, hit the, hit seventy-five. No, you're going to be walk, and you're going to follow. A, 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 a journey, you're going to have to follow which way are we going? Oh, we're going to go from here to there. We're going to go there to here. Yeah. It reflects what Jesus taught. Come follow me. And he said, come fo- oh, he's the way and come follow me. So that means following doesn't mean sitting. Following means moving. follow. We're moving. We're, we're, on a, we're on a way. We're not in a building. We're, we're moving. Okay, you get that sense. Okay. Um, so that that's how they would begin to see it. Um, so let let me introduce some stuff here. Like, let's see. Acts nineteen again. He entered the synagogue. He taught boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. And some were hardened and refused to believe and spoke evil of the way. Okay. Before the multitude, he left them and took his disciples with him. I, I, I use that to point out that even non-members, pagans, and non-followers called the, called the followers of Jesus the way. It was understood on both sides of the fence who the way was. Okay? It's interesting. I think in, I think in was it El Salvador or Guatemala? Well, we actually have a terrorist group called the Shining Path. It's kind of a takeoff of, of something like this. Yeah. It's Peru. Yeah. In Peru is a shining path. Our neighbor, I think he's from India. He was explaining to us once that over there they don't think of it as a church. They think of it as a way of life. There we go. Because ultimately, and, and as a way of life, now it's not something that we just attend to one day a week. It is, we actually, it's, it's, our, it's our journey, it's our path that we live daily. Okay? Now, think about, that, think about that little piece of knowledge. If you say, if we're members of the way, uh, sometimes when people have joined the church, we, we talk about the fact that this is a way of life. It's a way of living. It's not just, it's not just a once a week kind of thing. Okay? All right. So this is... So if we're going to go to there, so let me show you where it pops out. If we go to Mark 1, we get the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And and we're going to start by quoting Isaiah. And we're going to go, Behold, I will send my messenger before you who will prepare what? The The way for you. Okay? The way and followers of the way, there has to be a preparation to get ready to do this. You don't just start on the way. There's a preparation. The voice declaring in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. What was John's job? He was to, how, how was he preparing people for entrance for the way when Jesus was not quite on the scene yet? Preaching and baptizing. Preaching and and doing the ritual cleansings, uh, the mikvot. The, the the we're doing immersion. We're cleansing, and it could be in 
and the, and the River Jordan. It could be a variety of places. But we are cleansing, we're purifying, we're preparing ourselves because the, the way and the leader of the way is about to come. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Because the one that's coming is, all, is going to be our follower on the way. Does that make sense? So just that feeling, that, that sense. Okay? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Oh, 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 thank you. Yeah, I missed that. Good point. How do you do that? We're going to prepare for the way, so we're going to make... So apparently, according to this, we're going to make ready for the way by preparing a pathway before the way is here. So how do we make a pathway straight? Yeah. I think that someone's preparing a pathway like in the woods. You have to go around bushes and weeds and things like hacking away all the stuff that makes it so you can't just walk straight. Yeah. And actually what we're going to talk about by the time we get to the end of this, remember John, John the Immerser as he was called, John was the last Old Testament prophet. And I'm not, in my research, I didn't find so much of the way in the Old Testament, but what I did find, meaning the same thing, was a well-worn path. It was a trodden path. So if you have a, if you have a path winding its way around and you're going to make that pathway straight, what are you doing? You're not abandoning the path, but you're just simply doing what? It sounds like it might have been neglected and overrun when Clean it out, remove some bushes course correction. In other words, we are removing the things out of the path that enable us to follow the path more closely to get to the way. And yes, we're going to get to 1 Nephi 8. It is it's coming because it's part of the Old Testament tradition of paths leading to a way. Yeah. Sometimes there's stumbling blocks in the path that prevents you from getting to the way. Yeah, exactly. So I'm reading right now other pastors, I mean, that's a little apostasy, and it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Atticus, which I think was about to find, is it's keeping the doctrine pure. And, and that's yeah. how we get the apostasy to the doctrine of the church. So it's really a lot of that, it's part of that. Making the pathway straight, because Christ is going to come in, and he's going to do... And he's going to do what? Right. Remember, for a lot of for a lot of the people that were coming out, especially if you look at where John was preaching, John was not preaching down in Jerusalem, which would be dominated more by Sadducees and the royal families. He was up in higher up in the Galilee, okay, and that was dominated more by Pharisees. Nobody was adding more stuff to the path than the Pharisees. They were adding extra things. And, and a lot of times what Jesus was doing, Jesus kept the law of Moses strictly. But all the time he violated the Pharisees' extra stuff. 
We're going to keep the Sabbath day holy, but dang it, if we're walking a path on Sabbath, we're going to eat some of the wheat that's here, and that's not working. That's not performing labor. That's what the Pharisees added, but I'm still keeping the law of Moses. So we have to make the pathway clear. We've got to clear out the pathway. Yeah. John was also helping them create habits of prayer and repentance and those kind of things right. to get them ready to receive the Savior. Right. Mm-hmm. But in order to do that, think about it, if we're going to take somebody to the temple for the first time, do we walk them straight into the temple and drop them in the endowment room? What's got to happen first? Um, we're not talking out of school here. You read this everywhere. What's the first ordinance that we, besides baptism? Initiative. Washing and anointings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to cleanse. There, there's a purification process that prepares people to then step onto the way where we can be taught and lead to a path that gets us to the Holy of Holies. But in order to do that, we first of all have to be cleansed, ritually cleansed and cleaned and prepared and, and anointed with oil so that we're now ready to go ahead and begin life on the path. That's what John was doing. So when he talks about prepare the way, we prepare the way by making the pathway straight. Is that, is that okay? Don't want to get too heavy on that, but if you just, you see how rich the imagery here is? And if you're looking through their eyes, that's language that they, they certainly get. Enough that before Jesus even shows up, people are coming out of the cities to, to this wild man in, alongside the River Jordan who is preparing... And they would say, well, who is this guy? Well, he acts a lot like Elisha. He acts like the old prophets. He's preaching. And not only that, he seems like the guy Isaiah is talking about. We know Isaiah really well. Wow. So what way is coming? I don't know. Well, can I ask a question? Yeah. Uh, were they still under Roman's ruling? Yeah, they were. So, it's just were they under Roman ruling, yeah. Romans were famous so I was thinking Okay, let, 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 let me take what she's saying because you, you're actually in the context you're saying something I think pretty cool here. Okay, if, I, if, I'm, walking, if I'm walking a road in Nazareth what kind of road am I walking in Nazareth? It's, it's dirt, it's a well-known, well-worn path uh, that is dusty in the summer and muddy during the rainy season. Okay? Now, if I go up and over the hill to Sepphoris, five miles away, which is a Roman city, and I'm going to walk through the road in Sepphoris, what am I walking on? It's paved road. It's carefully laid out. It is a, it, it's, it's made of rock and stone and cobblestone, and it lays out, it lays out perfectly. Okay? Not only that, if I, go, if, I, if, I walk, if I take the same Roman road and I put that in Ephesus 
and I'm walking in the winter, that road is heated because there's a massive cistern with fire underneath it that's running warm water down under the pipes underneath the Roman road and, those, and, and it's, that road is warm in the winter. And then during the summer we're running cold water from the cistern down here and that road is cooler. Okay? As opposed to the, the well-worn Jewish roads which are dirt. So, I, so anybody can walk on that Roman road Anybody could, but, but it's easier and it looks better. So sometimes it's a little bit, the, the, the Roman roads look better than the Jewish roads. And the, and the way roads might be having to go all over the place. As opposed, okay? So I think that's a, that's a great point. Their reference of what roads are is Roman roads are pretty great. Now Paul used the Roman roads to preach Christianity all over the Mediterranean. Their infrastructure made Christianity possible. So we're grateful for that. Okay, but no, great, great point. I, I missed the idea of the Roman roads. See, get, get you guys going, you do great. They call their roads ways. Oh, did they call them ways? <laughs> and, if, and if we build a high five, then that makes it a highway, right? <laughs> Okay. Okay. So you're, you're, you're starting to get this. Now, here's another, another point. And again, these show up, but you have to be able to plug them into the, the church and the, the set of believers at that time. Okay. He comes to Capernaum and he was in the house, probably his house, asking them, asking the guys, uh, what were you discussing on the way? And again, there's that phrase. And, and, and Now, let, let me just back up again. One more thing. Remember that, that, the, that this is written, this is Luke. So this is being written like 70 A.D. This is Mark. This is being written in 60 A.D. Thank you. And it's being produced as a play. So this is performance art. Okay. So these little extra phrases, in the way, this is in 60 A.D., but they're writing in 60 A.D. what's being talked about for decades. So they're going to make sure that this idea of in the way is showing up in the play to people who know these phrases for decades. We're looking at it, you know, thousands of years later. But this was something that, this was a familiar phrase. But anyway, so what were you discussing on the way. But they were silent because on the way they discussed with one who is greater, with one another who's great who's the greatest on the way. And he sat down and called the twelve and he said to them, If anyone wants to be first, let that person be last and a servant to all. Okay. Put that in common language. What did we just say? Take the metaphor, take it where it goes. What's the message? Make it applicable to today, both then and today. How would that apply? It's just a, is this just some sniping with some apostles one to another? What is it, how does this work? How would you say it differently? You have to start at the beginning. Okay, got to start at the beginning. 
serve people. What's the message here? If you have to give a sacrament talk, what's the message? It looks to me like in the first verse he's saying, what were you discussing about the gospel? Yeah. I heard you guys talking. They are silent because they don't want to tell him what they were discussing about the gospel because it was somewhat contentious. Yeah. What, what was the contentious part? Who's the greatest? Meaning? That's right. So is he saying, you who want to be the leader, you have to first love your flock. You have to love the people you want to lead. Yes. I think that's there. But I also think that discussion may entail also, who's the best in your ward? (laughs) Who's the best person in the state? Who's the one that knows the gospel more? Who keeps the gospel better? Who's the really good people? Who's the not so good people? Who's the best people? I think our family's the good people because we're keeping all the commandments or they're not the not so good people because they have a tattoo. Okay. (laughs) We don't keep score. We don't keep score. Yeah. In other words, you're having a discussion in the church about who's better than one another. Now, and in the church, we tend to keep score. How can we keep score? Callings. Callings. Who keeps the commandments better, more obvious. Uh, have you ever had an experience uh, where somebody, and, 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 and you love them to death, and I think they have a right to brag. <laughs> they'll get up and they'll say, I had 12 kids, and every kid went on a mission, and every kid was married in the temple. You know, and I think that's something to be proud of. But that can cross over into saying, and if not all your kids are married in the temple, and if your kids didn't go on the mission, then who's better in the way? And we can, and not, sometimes, that's why, that's why so many women skip Mother's Day. <laughs> I think I've got something else to do on Mother's Day, because I don't want to, you know, I'm going to hear about sainted mothers and then I'm going to look at my own stuff and go, I ain't that. You know, I came home to my mother and she always had a meal prepared and stuff like that and I had to work. Okay. So I'm not as good as. Hand up here. Yes. So that question could have been, how was your fast and testimony when you left? <laughs> how did open mic Sunday go? <laughs> and what did, what did we hear? Right. And, and are, we, are we expressing our gratitude and thank, are we more grateful in, than anybody else? I'm amazed at how grateful I am more than anybody else in this ward. I am super grateful. I have lots, of, lots to be grateful, more than you. Okay, yeah. Lady in the back. Right. Right. We're looking at apostles and wondering or thinking about which one might be the most. They're the bestest. Yeah. But also, which ones may seem more progressive according to the agenda that we might have in our lives that we're hoping that they get up where they can make some influence. <laughs> yeah. And some may seem less progressive, some may seem more progressive. And everybody has their favorites. Right. I, I'm a Bednar guy. Really? Oh, I'm a Holland guy. Okay. He's the bestest. 
You know, can, can you say, so that's why I say, look at the applicability, because this isn't just talking about Peter and Andrew sniping on, on, on a road. This is talking about how do you, and again, talking to saints who've been hearing these stories for decades, would be hearing, how are you handling one another in the way, in the church? And are you, are you talking about who knew him best? Who's more better than somebody else? Okay. Oh, I've got one. Pioneer ancestors. Who are related to? Mine knew Joseph Smith. How about yours? <laughs> Mine helped build Nauvoo. Oh, well. Yeah. Um, we, it, it turns out that both, both Cindy and I both have uh, pioneer ancestors that knew Joseph Smith. But hers betrayed him. <laughs> <laughs> Mine stayed faithful. <laughs> and is in the movie The Seven Miracles. So <laughs> we won't get into hers, bless her heart. <laughs> I, I will never forget as long as I live a sister that wasn't in our ward but for her testimony. And she was so distraught about a child that had gone off the way. Right. And I thought to myself, you know, we, we have to be careful that we don't try to present ourselves as being perfect. Yeah. Because no one's family is perfect. No, and that's why I say we can get caught up in saying, because I think what happens often in the church is not that we talk about who's better. We tend to talk about ourselves as we're less. We're farther back in the road. Uh, in fact, the, uh, there's a there's a wonderful talk. In fact, hey, man, I should have I should have called it. I just realized it now. Um, years ago, I think it was at the uh, centennial of the pioneers. Uh, one of the great great talks I think of all time was a talk by J. Reuben Clark called "To Them of the Last Wagon." If you've never read. To them of the last wagon, boy, you ought to get that. Because he talked about how as the pioneer wagons were on the way to Salt Lake, that the apostles at the front saw blue sky and, and things were great. And then he says, to they of the last wagon, who, who, he says, their, their oxen was a little bit more lame uh, and, their, and their wheel was more frequently breaking. <coughs> And what happened during the course of a day is that they were the back of the wagon train and it was all dust and dirt and clouds and they couldn't see blue sky. The only time they'd see blue sky when they'd stop for a break and then the dust would settle and they'd see clearly and then they'd take off again and then after they fixed their wagon for the hundredth time then they start going again. Uh, and, and he says, so he had great love and respect for they of the last wagon. J. Reuben Clark. And then, and then he has a kicker right at the end. He says, and my mother was born in the last wagon. Oh, wow. It's just, wow. You know? And, and so, wonderful talk. Uh, it's one I've used at, at BYU. So I think that, that fits in here. Okay. See, see the lessons that come pouring out of here? Okay, now, I tell you, this, of all the way settings, this was my favorite. Uh, th this one, th I just thought this was fantastic. Okay, so remember again, Mark is a, is a play. Mark is a performance. 
uh, and they're just simply writing down the, the vocal uh, performance when Mark is actually written in 60 AD. Okay? So you always look at this and you sometimes see stage directions and dramatic elements that are built in uh, in Mark's that you don't necessarily get with the other synoptics. Okay? So they, Jesus and the, and, and the, and the gang, came to Jericho, and they're actually on their way. This is the, this is the, we talked about the last week, and in a few weeks we're going to go through the last week kind of almost day by day, but uh, this is the week before the last week. This is two weeks before, okay, the last week. And they came to Jericho, and as he departed from Jericho with his disciples, Luke says it was as he's coming into Jericho, it's one of the differences, uh, he departed from Jericho with his disciples and a substantial crowd. Bartimaeus the blind, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the way, Hadas, begging. Now, let me, let me stop this for a second. How many people uh, do we know that receive healings from Jesus and will never know their name? <coughs> the woman with the issue of blood, the adulterous woman, the lepers, the blind man at, at, at Shalom. Okay? We got, we, we have, they, these guys are all anonymous. Want to make a guess as to maybe why we know Bartimaeus? Let, let, let me give you an example. What if I said to you, years ago there was a story about a missionary uh, who was on his mission and he got discouraged and he wrote to his father and he said, uh, the mission is too hard. I don't think I'm doing any work here. Good here. And his father writes him a letter and says, forget yourself and go to work. And then I, uh, then I end that story by saying, and that missionary's name was... Gordon B. Hinckley. You know the story, right? But, but, if you, but the story, dropping in the name at the end, like it is with J. Reuben Clark, my mother was born in the last wagon. Now suddenly the whole story has meaning. What if we're telling this story and we go, there's a story about a beggar. And by the way, his name was Bartimaeus. Do you get some sense that maybe he was known in some level? Oh, that's where Bartimaeus came from. Oh, wow. I mean, I think there's a real chance of that. It's a dramatic, because this is something that a drama person would put in there. Yeah. I also think that maybe, because of, you're talking about the way he, and he's the son of someone, and he's never, he could be a part of this. Hold on to that thought. Hold on to that idea. Okay? So, he is, he is, but he's, he's the son, and so what he's, he's sitting by the way, Hadass, begging. Now, yeah? I'm trying to find this in Mark 9, but I don't see it. Oh, it's in 10. Did I put, is it 10? It's 10. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Mark 10. Thank you. Sorry. You're welcome. Kevin. Yes? Bartimaeus is, does it have to have the son? Uh, because the bar is the son. Yeah. Oh, Bar yeah. In this case, Bartimaeus is Bartimaeus the blind, the son of Timaeus. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I mean, that's, how, that's how they put a name on him. Yeah. Because otherwise he would be unknown. Bart of Maus. Yeah. Exactly. But we're, but we're pointing out not only him, but we're pointing out his dad. So somehow he's known enough later on down the road. 
I mean, could have been that he turned out to be an axe murderer. I don't know. Oh, that's Bartimaeus, the, the axe murderer? <laughs> My guess not, and, and I'll tell you why in, in just a second here. The, the, the focus of a beggar back then was to, um, it, there was a symbiotic relationship that happened between beggars and rich people. Beggars would sit beside the road, the, the rich person would come along, uh, and let's say they're, they're coming along, and here is Wendy the Great. And, and Wendy the Great comes along, sees a beggar, and gives the beggar two shekels. Now it's the job of the beggar to go, everybody should know that Wendy the Great gave me two shekels. She is wonderful. She is amazing. Uh, we should pay great homage to Wendy the Great because she is so generous. She couldn't give me one shekel. She gave me two shekels. It will make my life so much better. Today I will not die because of Wendy the Great. <laughs> it was the job of the beggar to build up the rich people through their generosity and so make a show of all of this. Okay, that's how, and, and they're really good at that. That's, okay. And so, so what's going to happen the next day, Wendy the Great is coming down the road and there's Bartimaeus. Today she gave me three shekels. Yeah, it, it, works, it works awesome. Okay. Okay, so, so he, he's begging, but he's, he's by the way. Is he in the way? He's, by, he's just off the way. And the group is coming by. So here's, here's the members of the way passing through, and here's somebody just off the way who's begging. Now, and he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was there, and he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's not asking, he, he may be asking for money. So there's two possible there's two possible ways to read this. You rich person who is the descendant of and the probable successor to King David, have mercy on me and give me some money because you're probably wealthy. That's one possibility. What's the other possibility? Jesus, son of David, thou Messiah, have mercy on me and heal me. Which is more likely because, the, because his, what he had done previously would have been known in Jericho. That's why all these people were meeting him. And I think that's more likely. That's what resonates with me based on what happens here. And the, way the and the way that the writer of Mark is telling the story. Now. And many in the way ordered him to be silent. It's a little embarrassing. But he cried out more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now look at what happens here. Jesus stood. He might even have stopped, arrested. Jesus stood and, and said, Call him. Now, picture this as a play. Can you see this moment? Jesus, have mercy on me. You know, and he goes, and he, he says, Call him. Bring him here. He doesn't say, Tell him. He says, Call him. He says to others. He's not. Jesus isn't, doesn't immediately speak to Bartimaeus. He tells others, you go call him. Okay? You see, can you see this, the symbolism rolling out here? Jesus has other people say, 
to Bartimaeus. He says, go tell Bartimaeus to come see me. That's what our missionaries do every day. They're just going to invite. Call him. And they called to the blind man saying, cheer up, come, he calls you. Jesus is calling you. Do you see it? To somebody that is watching people in the way and somebody from in the way says, Jesus is inviting you to join us in the way. Come. I liked it better when you phrased it, come see me. Yes. Come see who he is. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He calls you. Okay. Now, again, put on your, put on your uh, theatrical hat. And he threw off his cloak and arose and came to Jesus. If this is a play setting, this throw off the cloak, what would you be what would you be feeling and sensing? What, what is he doing? He's what? Hastening. He's hastening. But, but in th- he's revealing himself. That's right. He's going to throw off what? His sins. His cloak is dirty. It just covered up from the dust of being by the highway, right? So he's going to throw off the cloak and reveal who he is underneath. He's throwing off his old ways. That's why I think this is more than just asking for money. He, and, and, and imagine this, again, in a play setting. Off comes the cloak. Okay? And he's going to step up into the way to be with Jesus. Which would be the invitation of the play in the first place. Throw off your cloak, come into the way, and join him. That, that, that just, Wow. So the healing comes. Jesus then heals him, remembers, and talks about how he's, he's now been saved. And then we get this phrase right at the end. And Jesus said, go, your faith has healed you. But what does he do? And immediately he saw again, and what does he do? He followed him where? On the way. On the way. Okay? Now, here, here's the. Let me take this one. Why would why would this story be told by the writer of Mark, uh, and and as Bartimaeus, a blind man? How many times in Jesus' teaching does he talk about woe unto the blind who will not see? Ye blind guides, you strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. There's a lot of talk about those that are blind and will not see. And yet, here is a blind man, physically, who is doing what? Seeing. There's a blind man who sees with his spiritual eyes, even though physically he's blind. And, and this, is a, this is a bit of a commentary also on all those who are blind spiritually, even though they see physically. That's what makes it such a powerful story. And it would make a wonderful story in a play setting. Yeah. I think it's also a commentary on Christ's example 
to all of those high people in the church that were with him because they were passing on his normal way of life. Well, there's still there's that beggar person, and, and uh, he he is he's desperate. He's desperate for his life. He's, he's hard for his life. Yeah. They're not worth the energy. They're not worth the effort. A absolutely. Not only that, this is like two chapters after the Good Samaritan. On the same road, the same way. It, it's 17 miles from this point through the, that uh, uh, Jericho Road to get up, and it goes right to the temple. Okay. And Maybe this is just my interpretation. The pe they said, cheer up. He calls you. Like, get happy. This is your lucky day. You know? Yeah. Join us. I don't know if they recognized what privilege it was for them to see someone be healed. A number of the people that would have been there in this, at this moment would have been people of Jericho who were there out of curiosity. They kind of temporarily joined Jesus in the way just because this is like a famous guy is walking through town. And we're curious. You're exactly, and they, they may have been the ones saying to Bartimaeus, don't bother him, this is the famous guy. <laughs> and yet at the very moment he's saying, no, th this, this is a slight, it's exactly what you said, Joe. Yeah. Could this also be a lesson in repentance? It says, and immediately he sought again and followed him on the way. And that to me almost implies that at one point he... Had seen, had seen. Nice catch. I missed that. Yeah, that he was going to receive what was given. Awesome. Can you see the advantage of reading kind of a couple of versions at the same time so you get a, a variety? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I did too. When I, I went back to the King James as well. This it says on the way. King James says, in the way, which is actually even more pointed. That in other words, so after that, he'd been out of the way, close by, and man, Calvary, I like your idea of saying he saw again, so he'd seen previously, and now he's going to follow him in the way now, but he had to throw off his cloak to do it and become cleansed to do that. So now the blind can see. Okay? Now, if, if we're just reading a chapter a day, or we're reading for 15 minutes a day, how fast might you walk through that and miss all of that? That's why the words on the way, in the way, ought to jump right out at you and say there's something more going on in this verse than just talking about a roadway. That, that phrase ought to say stop, pull back just a little bit and see it for what it is. Because there's, there's a great story here that lies underneath just the, the, the verse. Okay? All right. Now... We're not going to get through most of this. So, so let, me, let me give you a, a, a couple more on here. Um, how, about, how about the road to Emmaus? Or the way to Emmaus? By the way, we just found Emmaus. I just noticed like in this last week and a half, uh, they made a, a major archaeological find in, in Israel where they think they've located Emmaus. And, and they're actually digging at that site of Emmaus. So, so th this is this is where they are. And they said, "Remember these these two unnamed disciples." 
Did our hearts not burn within us as he spake to us where? On the way. So once you get in the way, and now you're, he's, Jesus is speaking to you, and he said, it, we, can, we can feel the words. Yeah. I love the Bible video of that. And he, he calls them fools. So fools then must have not meant what it means to us now, does it? Hard, so, so, sometimes it did, but I think sometimes without, sometimes reading the scriptures and Jesus' words is, again, like reading a text. And we have to add emojis to our text because you can't read the emotion behind it. Because he could have been joking with them. He said it really nice in the video. Yeah. Well, yeah, the, the producers, they like, you fools. He's not going to do that. And the voice inflection would have been probably different. So. Yes. Oh, you have little faith. Come you have little faith. Things like that. Come on. Yeah. It, it can almost be like, come on, guys. But he loves them and he wants them to be more right. and, and move forward. Anyway. Okay, so once you get in the way here, he can speak to you and he's going to show you to more fully understand the scriptures. But in order to do that, you have to beware. In the way. In the way. <laughs> right. You've got to be following on this way to get the personal speaking and the scriptures in the way that you don't get when you're off the way. Okay? And then, he's, then they're going to say, and then they get back to Jerusalem and they explain what had occurred on the way and how he was made known to them while breaking the bread. Okay? There it is again. Okay? Boy, we could take a long time on the symbolism behind... Uh, we didn't really understand him until the breaking of the bread, and then he was revealed to us. Whew, there's a there's a sacrament meeting talk on the sacrament. Um, Matthew five: When you bring your gift to the altar, and remember, brother, sister has something against you, leave the gift, and first be reconciled reconciled to your brother, and offer your gift. Agree quickly with your accuser while you are. In the way. Okay? Sometimes our accusers come from other people in the way. Really hard to be sued by a member of the church. Okay? So uh, if, you, if there's some bad blood between you and somebody else in the church in the way, be reconciled with them quickly. Uh, reprove betimes quickly with sharpness, afterwards, an outpouring of love. Um, to the missionaries, Luke 9, and he said, Take nothing for your journey, which ends up being Hadass, neither stave nor script, neither money, neither have two coats apiece. In other words, those are going to go out, take me with you. Um, you're going to be out in the way. Don't be encumbered by all the other things um, that you're leaving behind while you do that. Um, missionaries, it'll be much harder if you leave a girlfriend or boyfriend behind. Matthew. Boy, we could take a long time on this one. Enter ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that goes where? Leadeth to, leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go therein. Thereat. Okay? The, there, is, there is alternate ways. And, and those alternate ways, uh, Judy, back to what you were talking about, the, the, the Roman roads are wider 
and nicer and easier. <coughs> Except in Pompeii where we know that, that coming down there was where the sewage went. But that's another story. Uh, there are better ways. Now, for these early saints, what would be an example of broad and alternate ways that they might have been drawn to? Well, I think, I think they would have had Roman examples. Uh, was, the, uh, was the Sadducee way a little nicer way to go if you could figure out a way to get that inheritance? Yeah, they had nicer houses. It was really nice. Okay? A lot of alternate ways. Okay? Oh, there's even this point with the, with, uh, the disciples. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. And how can we know the way? All right. So, uh, in the time remaining, I'm gonna, let, let me drop just a couple of last things on you because I want to have you see all this in context. Old Testament usage. I found a number of places where um, they're gonna, the Lord went before them uh, and fr from a Passover standpoint. This is amazing. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud and to lead them the way. And by night a pillar of fire to give them light. Um, so there's a sense. And, and look at I Isaiah 51 picks up on that idea. Art thou, speaking to God, art thou not he which hath dried the sea, the waters of the great deep, talking about the, the children of Israel crossing over the Red Sea, and hath made the depths of the sea a way. So by parting the Red Sea, he created a way where there was a sea. And who crosses, who crosses over the way? Look at the phrasing on this. Give it to Isaiah to nail it. Made the depths of the sea a way for the ransomed to pass over. Isn't that awesome? We don't necessarily think of the children of Israel as the ransomed, but they have been ransomed. Yeah. So that makes me think about that um, at Passover they would put the blood of the lamb on yes. the doorways. If anyone who walked through that way... There you go. And, 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 and that, by the way, that, and that, marks, that marks the way. Come in here for safety, stay out there in the streets of Egypt, and, and be destroyed. Yeah, great point. Okay? And then, and then obviously, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Say the Lord, my ways are better. Okay? Psalm says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That, that also means hadas. It means the way. Okay. Lehi's dream. I want to kind of maybe wrap up towards this. Okay? That's not overtime. That's the Old Testament. <laughs> it isn't like it's past 11 o'clock and we're in overtime. <laughs> And I saw numerous concourses of people, many of which were pressing forward that they might obtain what? The path. Now, in, in the Old Testament usage of 
the way. It is interesting that the word there, they'll choose path instead. And path in, in that Hebrew does mean a well-worn, other feet have walked here pathway. And I like that. So they're following, they're following this pathway. Okay? And it came to pass that they came forth and commenced in the path to the tree. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. They are, they're prepared. They're coming. They're following. Okay? And it came to pass that there arose a mist of darkness and an exceeding great mist of darkness insomuch that they had, they that had commenced on the way did lose their way and they wandered off and were lost into forbidden paths. Okay? And I saw others pressing forward and they came forth and caught hold of the rod of iron. This path, to make sure you don't get off the way, had a rod of iron. Hold on to this and it's easy, even when the darkness shows up. You can stay on the way, just hold on to the rod of iron. And they did press forward through the midst of darkness, clinging to the rod of iron, till they came forth and did partake of the fruit of the tree. I just think it's in, that, that in a sense this road leads to the tree. If you read uh, back to the idea of uh, blind Bartimaeus, uh, in the book of Mark, where he's, he's, as a play, they're presenting these scenes really closely together. The road of Jericho goes through Jericho. It goes up the 17 miles to Jerusalem. And the very next verse after the, the thing with Bartimaeus is they immediately get to Jerusalem. Immediately, Jesus says to two of the brethren, go get a colt. And immediately they then walk up into the temple area. But immediately the people are throwing their coats down, it says, in the way. They're throwing their cloaks down. And he's walking on those cloaks and he's stepping up into the temple uh, area. He then immediately casts out the money changers, takes over the temple environs, shuts down the temple, they have this mass sit in, and the Sadducees have to get rid of him, and that's why they go to him at night and then arrest him and he's then crucified. But that is all on the same path. It's all on the same way. If you're reading that that shortened version of Mark trying to say he goes right from the experiences of Jericho through the wilderness to the temple, up Robinson's arch up, up into the temple and takes over and then is crucified. And that's all one way. And if you're going to follow the way, you're following the one who, did, who just did that. So, it's a great story with beautiful imagery and beautiful metaphors. So, um, my testimony is uh, to my fellow religionists in the way <laughs> that I love the idea Oh, oh, oh. So, one more. One more. Uh, so, uh, okay. So, that's one of the reasons why it is, and I've said it here, here a few times, but I just want to repeat it one more time. That's why when somebody is reading the Book of Mormon, uh, our traditional approach has been to have them read Moroni 10, 4, and 5, which is, I didn't know this was true, I read it tonight, and now it's true. And this event has happened and it's happened 
quickly. Well then, keep reading till the moment comes and then you'll, be, you'll have a testimony of the gospel and then it's true. And millions have joined the church using exactly this method. I believe if we understand the way, I think there's a lot of other people for whom this approach is tougher. They don't know what to listen for. They don't know when they got the answer. And most people don't make a life change decision on the spur of the moment based on one feeling in an evening. They don't. So that's why I believe if, if you see it as the way and the journey and we're moving along a journey, that's where Alma 32 makes more sense to me. Have them read the Book of Mormon and say, now, compare what you just read to a seed. If you give place, the seed may be planted in your heart. It's a good seed. You don't cast it out. Uh, it will begin to swell in your breast. You see the journey? It begins. You feel these swelling motions, you'll say, this is a good seed. The, seed, the word is good. It beginneth to enlarge it, beginneth to enlighten my understanding. It beginneth to be delicious to me. You get the sense of a journey that you're traveling. The, the more I go, the more I feel. The more I feel, the stronger I feel. And at the, what's at the end of this moment? The seed planted in, in Alma 32 grows into what? A tree of life. Well, it takes a while for a tree to grow. And I think there's an awful lot of people who would join the church if we, if we talk to them in terms of you're going to come to church and it will feel good. Come back next week. See if that feels good. Test these, read these things. Read a conference talk. Did that feel good? Well, so let me introduce you to some more people. How did that feel? That felt good also. What about this? Nourish this thing and let's see how you're going to do. Then come back next week and how did that? Well, that felt good too. And here's some more stuff to... You know, and, and they get this sense of a journey. Welcome to life on the way. You can join us on the path. Because we're all wounded and we're all broken and we're all trying together. Yeah. Just real quick, it's a, it's a good way to look at our wayward children who have chosen a different way. And just helping them see that it, it's a journey. It may not happen as the quick answer approach, but as we can, as parents, can open our eyes and allow them yeah. to Great point. If we got wayward kids, we want Alma's angel. I was bad. Now I'm good. Wow. And it happened overnight. Dad, I've seen an angel. I'm now going to be better. Okay, good for you. I think, I think that's exactly right. That most of the time, those that have gone off on forbidden paths were saying, come on back and just see how it feels. Let it, let it sit there for a little while and move forward because it's a journey. It's a way. It's not a moment. And it's not a building. Does that make sense? Again, bear my testimony. I, I, I just think we have a chance to make, make our, our gospel reading richer when we understand the metaphors that Jesus is using, that this first generation were using, and that the gospel writers were employing on a regular basis. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.